Brilliant. Now, do please, in your Bibles, turn to John 17. Um, that is where we're going to spend our, our time. And um, as we begin, um, let me pray. Father, this morning we are looking at the, the deepest and most wonderful of words. We're going to see the biggest and most supreme of things. Father, please would you um, give us ears, give us eyes to see and to behold. Please, Father, though, would these things that we see uh, affect our hearts and therefore our lives too. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I had a, a moment of glory last weekend. I was playing golf, which is not something I do very often, and I do even less well. Um, but I was playing golf, and we were playing in um, beautiful weather, wasn't it? It was stunning, wasn't it? We were playing in the sunshine in, in lovely countryside. Uh, I was with two of my best friends. We are having a, a fantastic time. And uh, we get to a hole. I'm probably about 40 yards away from the hole. hole. Next week, if you ask me, it'll be about 100 yards. But for this week, it's about 40 yards from the hole. And it's one of those rare occasions where I hit the ball, and it does what I want it to do. And it went, and bounce, bounce, roll, boom, in it goes. Moment of glory. My moment of glory is slightly taken away when my friend then does exactly the same thing, <laughs> literally in the next shot. That's my moment of glory. You can probably do better than that. But, and not, not just the last week. How about your life? Okay, looking back at your life, what's been your moment of glory? Your, your highest achievement? The time when people saw and celebrated you or something that uh, you'd done? When was it that you shone your brightest? Was it again, a sporting achievement or an academic achievement? Was it the moment your business started making a profit? Or a moment of bravery? What was it, that one moment? Let's ask the same question about God. What was God's moment of glory when he shone the brightest, as it were? Last time out in John, we were in chapter 13, and we were with Jesus and his disciples uh, the night before, so Thursday evening, the night before Jesus would go to the cross. And Jesus had a meal with them, and despite their sadness and their confusion at Jesus' upcoming departure, Jesus said to them, look, let not your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. Don't let your hearts be troubled by this, because I am going to prepare a place for you in my Father's house. He was going to prepare a place for them in heaven and the new creation with God. And then he was going to come back and bring them to him. And although we come four chapters later, we are still on that same evening, okay? We're still this day before Good Friday. Uh, but in chapter 17, Jesus stops talking to his disciples and starts instead talking to his heavenly Father. And he prays. He prays for himself, he prays for his disciples, and then he prays indeed for all of his disciples throughout time. And we're just going to look at verses 1 to 5 today as he prays, as it were, for himself. Uh, so let's look down with me, please. I'm going to read John chapter 17, verses 1 to 5. <coughs> When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. 
since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that you may know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had before the world existed. Is our, our, our first kind of starting point. Uh, the starting point of these, of these words is that God is glorified. Because that's what Jesus prays for, doesn't he, in verse 1. He lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. This is a prayer of God's glory. To glorify something is to, to reveal something or someone's excellence, splendor, greatness. So when Jesus says, glorify your Son... Jesus is saying, look, would people see my greatness, my excellence, my, my beauty? Uh, but it, no, this isn't just kind of Jesus on some kind of personal ego trip, as it were. So if you kind of see it here. So first he says, yeah, look, Father, glorify me. Would people see my glory? But in order, he goes on, that the Son may glorify you. There's this mutual glorification as as the Father glorifies the Son, people see how great he is. Well, in doing so, Jesus shows how great the Father is too. And this is Jesus' prayer. Now, that might jar a little bit with us. Okay, predominantly, usually, in most ways in our, our world, we kind of we teach our children, particularly, look, don't draw attention to yourself. It's not pleasant when somebody just wants to make everything about them and to show off. But at the same time, don't we rightly recognize and honor greatness, high achievements, and special people? You know, that's why we have trophies, why we have award ceremonies, why we have halls of fame. Well, we have employee of the month and all those kind of things. We, we rightly recognize high achievements and um, special people. Well, God, Jesus, and his glory are the greatest, is the greatest thing in existence. And so it is perfectly right that Jesus be glorified, that his, that his greatness is displayed and seen and celebrated for what it is. But how, so how, where do we see this glory? What was God's moment of highest glory? Well, God is glorified, so you'll see in your handouts there, at the cross. At the cross. Did you see how, how Jesus began? Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. In, in John's Gospel, the hour has always been something that is in the future. Five times through the gospel, we, we read uh, words like that his hour had not yet come. It was always this hour was something that was being looked forward to. And now Jesus, on the eve of his crucifixion, says, okay, now the hour has come. The hour has come. It is at the cross where Jesus is glorified. It is at the cross. That, that is his highest moment of glory. 
verse 4 makes the, the, the same point, so that it puts it in a, a slightly funny way for us. <clears throat> but, but Jesus and indeed others throughout the Bible quite often actually speak of things that are going to happen in the future in the past tense. But so looking back, not only to, to what's happened, but also looking forward to this weekend, in verse 4, Jesus said, look, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. The Father gave the Son this work to do. What was this work? Well, ultimately it was to take him to the cross, where on the cross, do you remember what Jesus' final words were? It is finished. It is on the cross that his work was done, that Jesus was glorified, who glorified the Father. But why the cross? You know, to die by crucifixion was, was perhaps the most brutal method of execution that humans have ever come up with. It was torturously painful to be whipped, beaten, carried through, nailed to a cross, to, to, to be struggling for every breath. Physically awful. But not just that, but it was a shameful thing to do. It was so shameful that actually even Roman citizens couldn't be crucified. It was shameful as they had to <coughs> carry, uh, carry their, their own cross, as it were, where everyone knowing, someone carrying a cross, you're a criminal. You're going to die. You're an object of derision. You see, we look at the cross and we think this is the complete opposite of glorifying. So surely the complete opposite of that. And yet, Jesus says, the hour has come, glorify me that I may glorify ye. It is at the cross where Jesus is glorified, where we see his greatness most clearly. Christians sometimes speak of um, this language of suffering now, glory later. Uh, and that is indeed a helpful way of putting it. For, for Christians, you know, we're, we're not given any assurances of great life and ease and happiness and, and now, but, but we do look forward to fantastic promises of, of the future. Suffering now, glory later. And we get that pattern from Jesus. You know, he suffered and then, then glory later. And the Bible does speak in that terms. And indeed, Jesus, in verse 5, looks forward to this future glory too. So he says, and now, Father, like having accomplished all this, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus is looking forward to this uh, kind of reverse self-emptying that Jesus did in his incarnation. Do you remember when we looked in Philippians not too long ago now? But, but Jesus, he um, laid aside his, his glory. He left his father's, um, father's side in heaven. And he emptied himself, becoming nothing. He emptied himself. Well, well, this is a kind of a refilling, as it were. The glory that he left behind, he, he's now looking forward to being filled again. And in the father's presence, the glory that he had before time began, he's looking forward to this glory later. But... This language of suffering now, glory later. Yeah, it's true, the Bible does speak in that language, but we could also and rightly think of it as glory now, glory later. Jesus on the cross, glory now and glory later for him. The glorification of Jesus on the cross is then followed up with more glory later. 
But again, how, how? How does the cross, which seems to be the very opposite of glorification, how does that actually glorify Jesus? Well, in the Old Testament, God is um, supremely glorified in, in two ways. Now, yes, the heavens declare the glory of God, so the creation itself shows us something of God's majesty, might, and, and wonder, and all those things. But in the Old Testament, there are particularly two ways where God is glorified. Firstly, when he, he turns up and reveals himself. And secondly, when he saves his people. So God is glorified when he, he turns up and reveals himself and when he saves his people. So just as, as examples of many we could go to. <coughs> Excuse me, here Moses is talking uh, to God and Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and, you'll, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for, you, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand in the rock while my glory passes by. I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and I'll cover you with my hand until I have passed by. So <clears throat> Moses asked for this view of God's glory and, and when God kind of turns up, as it were, and he gets this glimpse of God's character, of who he is, not the whole thing, but just this glimpse, he sees his glory. And then sticking with, with Moses, you know, uh, God had promised in the Exodus that I'm going to get glory as I triumph over Pharaoh, as I bring my people out. And so afterwards, God's people, or Moses, sings this great song, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretch out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have, let, <coughs> you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength in your holy abode. God worked in this glorious rescuing way. And at the cross, at the cross, God is glorified as he does these two things most supremely. As he reveals himself, as he saves. So firstly, as God reveals himself. Now we could just pick almost unnumbered things that the cross shows us of Jesus uh, uh, here. But just to pick three. At the cross, God reveals his justice. He reveals his justice that humankind's rebellions against him can't just be swept, as it were, under the cosmic carpets. That actually rebellion against him has just and right punishments. And the cross shows us God's justice. But on top of that, it shows us his compassion and mercy. Because we look at Jesus upon the cross, the fact he's there at all, He's not there for his, himself. He's not there for his own sins. He'd never done anything wrong. The fact that Jesus is there, he is there because he is dying in the place of the people that God has given him. We see God's justice. We see his compassion and mercy. Excuse me. We also see his love. That's the most famous verse in John, or maybe even the whole Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. 
that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. As we see Jesus, we see God saving. <coughs> Excuse me. Back end of a cold. And unfortunately, it all goes to my throat nowadays um, still. At the cross, God reveals himself, his justice, his mercy, his love. But the cross reveals himself, it also reveals this salvation. So, second point, God is glorified at the cross. God is glorified at the cross as Jesus gives life. The Oscars have been in the news this week, haven't they? But imagine the Oscars where we get to see all the Academy members, we get to see them all dress up, we see the red carpet, we, <clears throat> we see the awards being given out, uh, we hear the acceptance speeches, but we get to see all of that, and it's very impressive, it's, it's great. But we don't get to watch the films. We only kind of get to, get to see them, but we don't get to, to enjoy the work that they've done. Well, the glorifying of Jesus at the cross isn't only something that we observe, it is something that we can benefit from too. <coughs> because at the cross, it is at the cross where God brings dead people to life. So look again at verse, uh, uh, verse 1 and then 2. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given. So Jesus uh, gives, um, God is glorified uh, at the cross and God is glorified as Jesus gives, uh, gives life. That's what we see in verse 2. Jesus has this authority to give life. But what is this life that Jesus brings? Well, God, uh, Jesus goes on to define it in verse 3. Did you see there? And this is eternal life, that you know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. When we hear the words eternal life, <coughs> I think we usually end up thinking about life that kind of goes on forever. So you've, kind of, you've got life here and you're kind of life that just goes on and on and on and on and on. And, and in a sense, that is true. However, uh, the, the phrase eternal life isn't so much about the quantity of life. It is about the quality of life. And I think that is wonderful, isn't it? Because actually, you may be looking at your own life and things that are going on, be thinking, this forever might not actually be that appealing. <coughs> but the, the quantity is secondary to the quality. Like, yes, indeed, it does go on and on, but, but it's the quality of this life. Um, Nathan, if you were at the wonderful event that we had on Wednesday night, in his excellent talk, gave the illustration of a song that he, he knew from childhood called the, the First Day of My Life. And that wasn't talking about the day that person was born. It was the day that person um, fell in love for the first time. They were living, but they had this, this, this real, this higher um, life. And that is what this kind of eternal life is talking about, not just physical life, but this higher life, life in relationship with God. 
<coughs> so verse 3, this is eternal life, that you know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Knowing God is, is not the way to life, it is life. Eternal life is knowing the Father and knowing the Son. And, and knowing not just, no, it's not knowing about. It's, it's knowing them. It's, it's a, a relationship word. It's an experience word. So, in this freezing cold weather, again, it's the, the difference between you getting home and you're looking at a cup of tea and you, you know that it's hot. You can see the steam and, the, uh, and everything coming off. But then it's a different kind of knowing when you wrap your hands around it and you kind of warm up. And that's the kind of knowing that's being talked about here, this experience, this relationship with God. Eternal life is to be in relationship with the Father and the Son. And if you're a Christian, that has started already. Yes, it does go on for all eternity, which is wonderful, but is enjoyed right now. It's enjoyed as we enjoy this relationship, as we meet Jesus in his word as we respond in prayer, and not just in the kind of 15-minute spell in the morning, or whatever it might be, but actually right throughout the day as we uh, meditate and think upon um, the things that we read, as we respond in prayer and, and, and pray um, right throughout the day, eternal life is being in relationship with God, and that starts now. And that is what we are made for. Adam and Eve, when they were made, they walked in the garden with God. But, as we heard, they rebelled. They, <coughs> they, they um, re- rejected God and uh, went and eat the fr- ate the fruit that they shouldn't have eaten. And they had the devastating punishment that, that Ray read um, a bit earlier on. But, but do you, did you spot the, the, the link between life and God's uh, and kind of relationship with um, God and being in his presence? This is what Ray read. Then the Lord said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden. Uh, and he goes on, he drove the man east of the garden and barred the way back. See, in the fall, what was lost was life and relationship with God. Jesus at the cross, what he restores is life and relationship with God. We were made for this life. And so we are restlessly unsatisfied without it. And people look for this life in all kinds of of wrong places. A relationship on earth, holidays, career binge-watching things, hobbies, all looking for this life. And often these things aren't necessarily bad in themselves. But you know how you can kind of snack away on sweet and salty snacks? You can fill yourself up. It doesn't really kind of fulfill. It doesn't really satisfy. Well, the distractions of this world might put a dent in this hunger, this longing but only relationship with God satisfies. And so perhaps that's even you this morning. You're aware that you have been seeking this life in other places. My encouragement is is stop snacking. Come and feast on your relationship with God.
That is where life is to be found. That is where satisfying life is. Look, if you want to see God's greatness, you want to see his glory, well, look no further than the cross. What seems to be the very opposite of glorification is actually where God is most glorified. Look, if you're investigating Christian things, if you're, you're still looking into it, and you're thinking about this life, and you want to know God and what he's like, well, we'll look no further than the cross. But equally, Christians, again, if you are finding yourself uh, trying to fill yourself up on, on the things of the world, can I encourage you again to look at the cross? Maybe even this afternoon you want to go away and, and just read the, the gospel narrative in John. We're going to be following it on the Sunday morning, but, but even this afternoon, just read through it. Again, see God's glory at the cross. Because God is glorified at the cross of Jesus Christ as he brings people to life. I'm going to pray. I'm going to try. <laughs> Father, please, would you help us to know would we see Jesus glory more and more clearly and would we delight in this relationship this life that he brings that we would seek our satisfaction not in the things of this world but in this relationship that Jesus has so wonderfully achieved in his name and we pray for his glory Amen